0: So when we first started Novation, my wife Janelle had a job where she had to, to travel quite a bit. And anyone who knows me and how I feel about my wife, like I hate being away from her for five minutes, but she would go and travel, and it just it was terrible. And I would hate to say goodbye. You know, even knowing it was maybe just four days or whatever, I hated that. Our oldest daughter, Chase, she coup has done a lot of adventures in her life she lived in senegal and did a semester overseas for her junior year of high school so she was gone for like four months that was a hard goodbye but then she goes to bible school in hawaii that was another goodbye with her and then one day she decided to join the navy and thus the navy dad shirt. i'm very proud of that and um that was a hard goodbye for dad, like my little, you know, she's five foot nothing, right? And she's joining the Navy and going off to boot camp. And I remember the day that I, I took her to, to the recruiter. He was going to drive her to the, to the airport with the other recruits. And he said, he said, when she gets to um, the boot camp, the base, she'll get to give you a call, but it'll be real brief, <laughs> And sure enough, so had to say goodbye to her, knowing that I'm not going to hear from her for a long, you know, a, a, it's going to be radio silence for a while. Right on time, I see my phone ring. It's her face. It's Chase. I answer the phone. I say, hi, Chase. And she said, I, all I could hear in the background was yelling and screaming and cuss words. And it was, dad, I'm here. Gotta go. And that was it. So I'm just like, what? Like, it's my little girl. She's at boot camp. And that was tough. And it was radio silence with no letters, no phone calls for at least a month. And you knew she was okay if you didn't hear anything. So we got through that. Um, Damien, our son, went to the Coast Guard. And Janelle and I dropped him off at DIA and watched him get in this line after you know, slobber-knocking tears of crying. And he's just standing in line. And we're walking backwards just looking at him because you don't want to actually break away, because they still want to have some visual contact there. And Chandler, she's still at home. I've never had to say goodbye to her, so we're doing good there. So thank you, Chandler. Goodbyes are never easy, unless you're happy to see that person go. (laughs) I mean, that, that is a possibility, I guess. Bye. But truthfully, goodbyes are not easy when the one that's leaving is you're not going to see them for a long time. And they're going to be gone for a long time. Losing a loved one. Gone through that twice this last year. Many of you have as well. It's difficult. Very difficult. Um, let me digress for a second. So when the kids were young, I used to have Fridays off. And we had Elitch passes. Anybody ever do that? Go to the water park? I'm the only one? Anybody ever Elitch pass? Okay, two of us. Cool. It was fun, right? They had the water park, we would do that, and we'd always go ride a couple rides. I am not a thrill seeker when it comes to amusement parks. But every year, or at least every month, I would try to conquer my fears by doing something that I was afraid of. And so we got on the roller coaster. I don't even know the name of it. But we got on, and I'm like, oh, we're locked in. I'm like, we're really doing this? Yeah, we're really doing this, Dad, let's go. And they were always riding the rides, and I would wait for them. And so we got on there... And literally, as soon as we got, you know, you're going up the hill, and you I'm starting to sweat and cry, and, D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-". and all of a sudden, you, th- the hill came over, and all I did was close my eyes, and I ducked like this, and I rode the whole ride just with my head all the way. And when we got off the ride, I was like, "Who's the man?" And, the, <laughs> and they, they had the fo, little photo booth thing where they. Ha- and literally the kids are have their hands raised, smiling, having fun, here's dad just tucked away. I, I say that because that thought came to my mind about the disciples. What a roller coaster ride they were on. They went to complete sadness and disappointment of Jesus' death to the joy of the resurrection, roller coaster ride. And then the confusion of the ascension, what we're going to look at today in the book of Acts. There had to be some confusion. Where are you going, Jesus? I know you told us ten times that you were going to go back to the Father, but are you really going? We just saw you rise. Like, what's going on here? We're kicking off this brand new series today, which really isn't brand new. It's it's like part two of Luke. We spent the whole first part of the year going through the Gospel of Luke crescendoed last week on easter with the resurrection of jesus and we called that series kingdom come because jesus brought his kingdom to the earth and we're calling this series in acts kingdom go because we see the disciples take the commission of jesus to spread the gospel throughout the world the book of acts It's written by Luke. He was actually, you know, eyewitnessed things that happened in the early church, especially with Paul's missionary journeys that we're going to get to in the next several weeks. But the book of Acts is the history of the early church. It could also be the acts of the apostle, the apostles, the acts of the Holy Spirit, because we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church and how I, I hope it, it, uh. Maybe revives something in all of us. Chuck Swindoll said that if you're apathetic, feeling apathetic in your walk with Jesus, read the book of Acts. Because you see the fire, you see the zeal, you see the boldness of the early church in in spreading the truth about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1, and then we're going to work through that. He says the first account I composed Theophilus, which that language should sound just like Luke chapter 1, whom he also wrote the Gospel of Luke to, to Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, <clears throat> Excuse me, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many c- convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. Let me pause there. F- 40 days is not there by happenstance. The number 40 throughout Scripture is the number of deliverance. If you go back, Moses was, was 40 years in the desert before he got his call to be the deliverer of, of Israel. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. Jesus, David and Goliath, it says after the 40th day of Goliath and the Philistines, you know, taunting the Israelites, David slew Goliath on the 40th, a day of deliverance. Jesus in um, the desert when he was tempted by the evil one, he was 40 days and, and delivered. So this is key here. So on the 40th day of Jesus being alive and showing himself to people, he's going to heaven. They've been delivered. The day of, of deliverance. That's why the ascension is so important. And it says, in speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God, gathering them, uh, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had Come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times, which the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were watching, and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he, was, while he was going, then behold, two men or two angels in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. I think this ascension of Jesus going back to the Father begs a couple questions that need to be answered. I want to try doing that. The first question is, where is Jesus now? Where, Where is Jesus? It's important when we think about heaven that we think rightly about it. Often we just get this idea that heaven is just this, we're out there Playing harps, you know, and floating around, and, and it's just this kind of strange, you know, strange thing that doesn't seem to get a whole lot of people excited about going to heaven, when heaven is the ultimate perfect place. And Jesus went back to his Father. So right now, if you, when you study Scripture, there is a current heaven, and that current heaven is where the Father and Jesus are. And and believers that have gone before, there's a temporary, but it's temporary. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to recreate the earth and make the new heavens and the new earth. So when you have a loved one die and go to heaven, they have a return trip at some point to come back to this earth. And we're, we're going to live on the renewed, perfect earth where there's no sin, no sorrow, no suffering. And how we live in this life is going to impact what we do in the in the life to come we promised rewards we're promised rewards for our faithfulness not just pastors or missionaries or evangelists it's rewards for your faithfulness and what how god asked you to live your life god didn't ask you to be me he didn't ask me to be you or anybody else in your life be faithful to jesus do what he says to do and he he promises he's going to reward that so if god promises rewards they're noble you know it's a, it's something that we we strive for so where is jesus now he's ruling and reigning over his kingdom at the right hand of the father he's at the right hand of the father ruling and reigning the disciples and many others over the course of time have made the mistake of trying to make a political jesus they thought jesus it was all about the the politics of israel and 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 making them the great nation again and, you know, doing away with Rome and all of that kind of stuff. When you political, politicize Jesus and you think it's about politics, we're, you're missing. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And it's not a military kingdom either. It is, it is his kingdom. He told Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if it were so, you know, angels would come right now. But Jesus' kingdom right now is a spiritual kingdom that one day will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with, With the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, here you go, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and all. Jesus is a big deal. Everything was created by him and for him, and he sustains all things. So when you think of the kingdom, you have the past tense where Jesus came and ushered in, inaugurated the kingdom by his life, death, and resurrection. And then after the ascension, we have the kingdom present, and the kingdom is growing one life at a time, one person at a time coming to know Jesus Christ, hearing the gospel. And then there's going to be the kingdom in the future that will be the fulfillment, where Jesus is going to come back and set it all right. All the chaos and craziness that we see, He's going to set it all straight. That that day is coming. Second question about the ascension is, is, what is He doing in heaven? What is He doing? Well, first of all, He's building His church. He's building His church one by one, One life at a time. As we celebrate baptism next week and people are declaring their faith in Jesus, it's just one life at a time. Somebody says, Jesus, I agree with you about who you are. And they put their trust in what he's done. He he told his disciples, he said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it or the gates of hell. Gates are a defensive thing. You're trying to keep... Something out in your gate. That's why people fence their yards. You don't want just anybody coming in. Jesus said, the gates of hell, I'm storming it. I'm going to blow that up. His job is to build the church. This is where a lot of pastors have to always remember. It's not our job to build the church. He does that. Our job is to make disciples. As a church, our job is to make disciples. That's what he said. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them etc. So our job is to make disciples. He's building His church. Secondly, He's preparing a place for us. Think of how we are when when you know you're going to have guests in your home for maybe a couple days, a weekend, or a week at a time. You go and prepare a room for them. You get it fixed up so that they're comfortable, that they have towels, they they have whatever they need. Think about expectant parents. You Build a room, you build a crib, you paint little cute animals on the wall or whatever, and you're getting it ready for, for your child to come into this world. Well, Jesus told his disciples, he said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will... Always be with me where I am. So Jesus is getting His place ready for us. He's getting His place. That's so awesome to think about. And I love the fact that Jesus, in His earthly life, He was a carpenter. No wonder. He's the creator of all things. Colossians says, and, and John says that he was, everything was created by Him and for Him. He created the stars, the planets, the universe, every animal, everything is His creation. Think about that. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's going to be a nice place. That place is going to be the bomb. It'll make Hawaii not even nothing, right? Unless it's Maui. And then thirdly, what is Jesus doing? He is with believers. He's ministering to believers that have gone before us. Here's what Paul says. He says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you die in Christ, instantly with Jesus. Like It's just absent from the body, present with the Lord. So there's three things that, that Jesus has left behind that are important for us to grasp and put into practice. First of all, He left behind an unmatchable presence. An unmatchable presence. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The person of the Holy Spirit. An unmatchable presence. You know how many times Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's better that I go back to my Father than I can give you the comforter. I can give you the counselor. And it's amazing to me when in John... 14:20. it's not on your notes but in john 14:20, jesus was talking about the spirit coming the holy spirit coming to dwell and he he said on that day and he's referring to the day of pentecost and we're going to look at that next week he said on that day you will know that i am in my father and that i am in you and you are in me we blow by that verse do you know what that means That means the very relationship, the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that He said, we're brought into that relationship. Not just your own relationship with the Father, but the relationship that Jesus and His Father has. How secure is the relationship of the Father and the Son? It's perfect. That's how secure you are. You are as secure as that relationship of the Father and the Son because by faith and by Christ you've been brought into that very relationship. So I think it's not a matter when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of of how much of Him do I have because we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us. It's how much of me does He have. And that's something that we grow in, right? Right? It's something that we learn to acknowledge that, that we, don't, we don't need more of Him or Him to be with us. He's already with us and in us. It's a matter of us recognizing that and living in that. And I believe four things happen when we recognize this unmatchable presence in us in the Holy Spirit. It brings, first of all, passion. Nobody wants to live a life without passion. Nobody wants to live a life and just go through the motions apathy. Deep down, we hate apathy. We we want something to get out of bed every morning that gives us passion, that gives us excitement. And Paul says in Galatians, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One thing you can do is acknowledge the Holy Spirit's presence in you all day long. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live in me. Lead me, guide me, show. That more of that relationship is built when you acknowledge that. And it's important that you remember that you can't work up passion. I'm going to be excited about Jesus. and uh, I'm, It doesn't work that way. Passion is a byproduct of relationship. It's, work, it's nurtured. It's, it's nurtured in every type of relationship and the same with our relationship with the Lord. Secondly, this unmatchable presence brings Purity. Every single one of us want to live a life that's pure. I believe that. I believe God put that in our hearts. That we want to live in in purity of thought, purity of of our speech, impurity of our actions. We want that. Now, sometimes we don't know how to do that, and we have these old habits and bondage and things that we seem to not be able to shake. I am fully aware of my sinfulness. I think the longer you walk with Jesus, the more aware you are of, of, your, of your sinfulness, but you are also become more aware of His grace. And you become more aware of, how do I walk in purity? Well, the Apostle Paul says something amazing, again, in the book of Galatians. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh and the Spirit are in a tug of war all the time. You feel it. You want to blow up on somebody. You want to anger or whatever. I got really angry over something stupid last night. And I'm like, oh my gosh, when am I going to learn that I don't need to do that? I don't need to, to to be angry. Here's the truth. This is a choice to walk in the Spirit. When we get tempted by sin in the flesh, we choose to walk the Spirit. in the Spirit. The Spirit will always lead you to purity. Will always lead you... In, in His ways. And it's a promise that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't walk in the flesh. I love that. Following, I believe following Jesus and walking in the Spirit are this interchangeable. Same thing. If you're following Jesus, you're walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're following Jesus. They're not two separate things. And then thirdly, it's going to bring power into your life. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Empowered. The Apostle Paul gives a command in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. In the context, he's saying, he's saying, Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Alcohol has a way when you drink too much, it to, controls you. He's saying, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and yield. To him, What we're going to see throughout the book of Acts is over and over and over, it'll say, so-and-so was filled with the Spirit, and then they did something awesome. God used them in a, in a powerful way. So being filled with the Spirit is having that power in us. And then lastly, knowing this unmatchable presence brings promptings, where you begin to get these little promptings from the Holy Spirit as Romans 8:14 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. It's exciting to hear a prompting of the Lord and act out on it and realize it was Him. You ever done that? You know, you think, I think I'm supposed to give somebody something or I think I'm supposed to say something to somebody. And then we begin to doubt it and go, well, that's just me. Or what if I'm, what if I'm not hearing right, you know? Listen, the worst thing you can do is be a blessing to somebody. I think that's a good thing, and and we were. I've been trying to listen better this year to the Holy Spirit. Janelle and I were having lunch at a restaurant a while back, and I uh, I noticed this guy and his wife. They, there seemed to be like some tension, and she got up and and went to the to the restroom or something, and I kind of out of a per- peripheral vision I saw him crying. My heart started you know churning a little bit there i start praying for him and then she came back and then when they were leaving she got up again and he was standing there and i felt this nudge of the lord like talk to him and i said hey man i just want to let you know i'm praying for you and He And was like you're praying for me why? why it was he was caught off guard like i don't even know you why are you he, he actually said that why are you praying for me and i said well you looked a little upset and he began to explain their circumstances. And it was kind of cool because something was going on there. Just little teeny things like that. That You just at, obey those promptings of the Holy Spirit. And When we do it in the little things, it, it snowballs. And it gets, it gets bigger along the way. Second thing Jesus left behind is an unfinished task. An unmatchable presence and an unfinished task task you shall be my witnesses both in jerusalem and all judea and samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth you shall be my witnesses in denver in colorado into the uttermost parts of the earth we can apply that to us today because that's where they were they were at so the work of jesus is finished we always remember that. Jesus' work on the cross, he, he, he said it is finished. What that He set out to do, he, he accomplished in his life, death and resurrection, in defeating our enemies of sin, death and the evil one. It's finished. We can't add to it or take, it, take anything away from it. But here's the, here's the flip side of that. The work of the church is unfinished. The work of the church is unfinished. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I've been studying a lot about Paul and his missionary journeys and and, and thinking through some of the language that he uses. And At the end of Romans chapter 16, uh, 15, he's, he tells the church there that he desires to get to Spain which would have been called then Tarshish. And he had this in mind to go to the ends of the world. Like Paul took the gospel and he was he was going to every known nation that he knew about. And he literally thought that if he could get to Spain and preach the gospel, that he would have fulfilled this calling to the nations because they didn't know there were people across you know the Atlantic Ocean and other peoples. It, that the the known world. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the Google or any of that to know what was going on or maps. And what they did was amazing. You'll if you if you read the Book of Acts with me during these next uh, several weeks, you'll see, man, what they accomplished was only through the power of the Spirit. They didn't. They, I mean, what what they they walked everywhere. They walked on roads. They didn't have cars or planes or anything to get to. But here's here's what I want you to get from that. The early church and Paul thought Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. Has that ever puzzled you a little bit? It did me until I realized that he thought Spain was it and then this thing's done deal. And yet what's happened is they just passed the torch to the church as we discovered More people group. There's still people groups that have never heard the gospel. There are people and tribes and tongues that have never heard the name of Jesus. That's why we do missions. That's why we do missions globally and locally. You know, the mission field is crying out unfinished, our city is crying out unfinished. There are people that need to be reached with the gospel. Don't assume that somehow just because somebody lives in in Westminster or Denver that that they've heard the gospel. We're in a post-Christian world in our society right now. People need to be reintroduced to the real Jesus, to the real gospel. It's important that we have that sense of, of urgency. If you follow Jesus, you're part of this calling to share Jesus with people. And you might think, well, what do I do? I'm not an evangelist. I'm not bold. So what? What you can do is you can pray. Everybody participates in this by prayer. Being generous to people who are reaching people and organizations in the local church. Help, help f- fund that so it can continue on. But personally, be a good neighbor. Know your neighbors, love your neighbors, your coworkers, workers and, and let, let people you know, you, you be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. When life is chaotic and you, you're able to stay the course, somebody's going to say, how do you do it? Well, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is my, my rock and, and my strength. Invite people. You can invite them to church. There's some people that won't ever step, step foot in the church, but they'll go play top golf with you. Men, Or they might come to a tea or, or something outside that we do to an event. There's always opportunities for that. And then lastly, he left behind an unshakable promise. Unmatchable presence, unfinished task, and an unshakable promise. This Jesus, the angel said, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. A promise is only as good as the one who gives the promise. And the promise of Jesus, if you think about it, it was we were told in the Old Testament that he was going to come. He, he he accomplished that. He said he was going to die. That happened. He said on the third day he would rise again. That happened. He said he was going to ascend back to the Father. That happened. He said the day of Pentecost was going to happen. And that happened. It's going to happen. Jesus is coming back. You take that to the bank. Take that to the bank. He is, he is coming back. Everything that, that he has promised, he's going to do. And I really believe that that helps the hurting and the grieving, to know that Jesus is going to set it straight. And it should give all of us focus on our daily life there's a, somebody has a bumper sticker I've seen, not, not at Novation, but you've probably seen it, that uh, Jesus is coming, look busy. (laughs) And that's always kind of cracked me up because that's, you know, it's like, uh oh, if I look busy, then he'll, 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 he'll he'll think I'm, I'm, uh, he'll take me, right? He'll he'll take me. But that's not focus. Focus is on the reality of his return. My, uh, my end times theology, I've told some of you this before, it's pretty deep. And it's, it's this, be ready. I'm a be readiest when it comes to, to my end times theology. You can't look that up in systematic theology, but it's, it's really the best way to look at, at the return of Jesus is, is be ready because he could come back in my lifetime. I hope he does. But the reality is, I'm also going to die at some point. None of us escapes that. So whether He comes back in my lifetime or I die, I'm going to be face to face with Him. And living in a way that you're ready is, is important. Not fear. Like I, There's so much fear-driven stuff sometimes that has come around in times teachings. And, and I think it's just kind of bad, bad teaching. When we live like the early church did in this reality that Jesus is coming back, or like Paul had to explain to the the Thessalonians, that listen, those who die in Christ, they go to be with Him, and when He returns, they're going to come back with Him. So he was given the grieving comfort. That's why Paul could say with full faith to live as Christ and to die as gain. So when we die, we're gaining everything because we're face-to-face with the Lord. That's why we don't have to fear death. He conquered that. But you live your life in a way that's to live as Christ. And as we were singing, it's the best way. Following Jesus, doing what He said to do, is the best because He knows what's best for us. That's why we want to put into practice what He says to do. I have a good friend Who, around Christmas of 2019, got told that he had cancer. And he was pretty scared. I'll never forget, he called me. And he wasn't a believer at this point, he didn't know, he was unsure. And I was able to tell him how much the Father loved him. I was able to tell him about Jesus and tell him that even if God heals you, we all have to face the reality of our mortality. And uh, he listened. And he's been following Jesus through all of this stuff. And and many of you prayed for him. You prayed for him and he knows that. He told me after they did surgery and they said that it wasn't as bad as they thought and it wasn't a death sentence. He said, he did it. Jesus is the one that healed me. Just like chanting. Well, fast forward a little bit. I'm on a walk the other day and I get a phone call and it's him. Sorry. It's him and he asked me what I was up to. He told me that his dad has cancer and that his dad is its pretty bad and that he's pretty sick and um, his dad doesn't want to die. Like, you know, if you don't know what's on the other side, we, we're, we're afraid. And also it's that fear of missing out on life and grandkids or whatever and it seems so short sometimes. And he, and he said... I told him I said dad you need Jesus he said you need Jesus and he said it's a fact that Jesus lived it's a fact that Jesus was crucified and it's a fact that he rose from the grave this is my guy that didn't believe now ministering the gospel to his dad helping him be ready he told him be ready if you want to be ready, put your trust in Jesus. Get to know Him now. Get to know Him regardless of how much time's left. I'll tell you, that moved me. He made my day. And all of us can be ready and not have to walk in fear. You do that by coming into agreement with Jesus. You come into agreement with Jesus about who He is. That He's the Lord and Savior of all. Agree with him. I believe that you lived. I believe that you rose. I believe that you died for me. And then believe about who he says you are. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. That's you and me. That's that's what's true about us. He was willing to lay down his life, submit to death, so that we could have life and new life it's a beautiful gospel guys the gospel is beautiful he overcame that for us it's good news it's good news that we're that we're sharing we've been commissioned we've been empowered and my challenge to myself and to you is let's be part of that let's be part let's don't go through the motions and you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary or any of that to have an impact on the world. My friend had an impact on his dad. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where this is reality for all of us. Will you stand with me? And dude, if you're watching online, I had no idea I was going to get so weepy. So thank you. <laughs> Why don't we all just put our, put our hands out in front of us like this in a posture of, of receiving. Lord, we with open hands come before you this morning thanking you for life, thanking you for Jesus. Father, thanking You for Your wonderful, wonderful love. Thank You that we have hope. Thank You that we have blessing. Thank You that we have grace upon grace. Thank You that we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. Fill us fresh and new this morning, Holy Spirit. Stir us up. Lord, we this this morning say... But we want to be part of what you're doing. Continue your work. Give us your eyes for um, the world around us, your eyes for the people in our lives. Strengthen our relationships. Strengthen our marriages, our friendships, our families, this church. Thank you for the power to do what we could never do on our own. We receive your love, Father. Just tell the Father that you receive his love. Father, I receive your goodness, your love. Father, may all of us find our self worth and self esteem and identity in your love and work backwards from there. Lord, bless the ones that are hurting this morning. Heal physically what needs to be healed. We rejoice in you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.